Coinage, that's a best-selling coinage right there. We're not good at that. We don't know how to come up with those turns of phrase that are worth money. Imagine it was probably market-tested for about six months, along yeah. with a number of other options. Uh, a lot ben- of alternate titles were probably put in front of focus groups. Bend over. That was that was in the running. Cough. A little to the left. <laughs> a little one. to the left. Left. <laughs> Scooch over. Uh-huh. Scooch. Yeah. Sidle. So, <laughs> so uh, have you read this, uh, <laughs> this David Gilmore interview? Not the <laughs> the writer, not the Pink Floyd guitarist. Are they not the same? I don't think they are. I don't think they are. I uh, um, this is a uh, his his a novelist. His oh, he's Canadian novelist. David Gilmore, whose most recent novel, Extraordinary, appears in the Giller Long List. This is on the Random House, uh, ha- the Hazlitt Books blog, which is a, a Canadian imprint of Random House, if I have that right. And um, they have this um, column, cleverly titled "Shelf Esteem." It's oh, horrible. Uh, yeah, it's, it's especially horrible because the column. I've come not- to expect more of Canadians. Yeah, it has nothing to shelf. do with esteem whatsoever. It's just. And it doesn't have anything to do with shelves. Well, I guess it has something to do with shelves because it, um, it, uh, I, you know, nothing against Random House, but this is a terrible idea for an interview series. It's just you, you show writers bookshelves, and then you talk about they talk about their favorite books that are on them. And of course, he's showing off his copies of. Oh, that's right. that's <laughs> I saw there was a reference to one Proust. maybe Zapruder did. Yeah, Proust, Chekhov, and Tolstoy. It's really good to see a a 63-year-old Canadian man's paperback copies of Proust on the internet. That's a thing that I need to say. But anyway, this is the 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 um the thing the bit that everybody's talking about and this is on the randomhouse.ca uh website. You click on Hazlitt and it go to the blog and you'll see this David Fillmore thing. Um he's talking about uh you know these writers that he likes, which whom I like as well. And then he says, <laughs> I'm not interested in teaching books by women. Virginia Woolf is the only writer that interests me as a woman writer, so I do teach one of her short stories. But once again, when I was given this job, I said I would only teach the people that I truly, truly love. Unfortunately, <laughs> none of those happen to be Chinese or women, except for Virginia Woolf. And when I tried to teach Virginia Woolf, she's too sophisticated, even for a third-year class. Usually at the beginning of the semester, a hand shoots up, and someone asks why there aren't any women writers in the course. I say, I don't love women writers enough to teach them. If you want women writers, go down the hall. What I teach is guys. Serious, heterosexual guys. F. Scott Fitzgerald, Chekhov, Tolstoy. Real guy guys. Henry Miller, Philip Roth. Bold talk. Bold. Troll talk. If uh, Oh, my goodness. This is the uh, the, but the thing. He's invented, right? That's he's not. <laughs> have you have you looked to see if there's any if this is a real person or is this uh, yeah, a cre- cre- created by uh, 
Let Vice me see here. Let's see. His name is James Clickbait. No, I <laughs> very, think he's real. Very clickbait. <laughs> no, it's uh, <laughs> from the Newport clickbaits. But the <laughs> this is my favorite bit where he says, um, he says, <laughs> I'm a natural teacher. I was trained in television for many years. I know how to talk. I know how to talk to a camera. Therefore, I know how to talk to a room of students. It's the same thing. Wow. That um, is that's a bad teaching philosophy. What was the occasion for this interview? To try to put, sell a books? Um, he's he's must be published by Random House, and his and he got long listed for um, the Giller. Which is a the one of the, you know one of the two, one of the two big uh, Canadian I, how does prizes. He, how does he feel about the blacks? <laughs> I am not seeing any. Is there any? I'm not seeing any on his shelf here. He's only reference. we're seeing lots of whites. But the thing is, he says he only is interested in heterosexual men. But I see there's a Truman Capote here. Uh, and he may not have done a lot of research about a lot of these writers. <laughs> <laughs> he likes Proust very much. So he likes Proust and Hemingway. Yeah, I don't see uh, any. I don't see uh, any of the blacks here. What if they dabbled a little bit in college? Can you still teach them, or if <laughs> if they if they tried to get educated, then maybe he'll teach. Does them. he mean that he has to not be? He does not have. That he can't be personally attracted to any of the writers, or <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, how does he test all these out? He's it's so this is it's just so terrible. That paragraph is so terrible. It's pretty bad and what's 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 particularly bad is that probably most Americans and probably Canadians um might not see what's wrong with it. Yeah. <laughs> really? I mean aside from the aside from aside from you know enlightened and evolved people which is not a big part of the population. <laughs> uh, I mean most most of my family would see that quote and either pass right over it and say or say good for him. Yeah, there's some academic freedom. That's exactly what he's he's going for here, and uh, it's. Uh, do we really have to crack open what's wrong with that? I think is there anyone listening to our podcast who does not who would not immediately know that that's deeply messed up? No, but they might. But what 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 troubles me about it is not that this asshole is an asshole. It's <laughs> that um, he's not so far off of center of of where people are 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 at even. Writers, professors, critics. You know, I. He's if, not. Uh, he's not. It sounds fringy, and our outrage sounds like we're talking about somebody in the lunatic fringe. And yeah. He's probably a lunatic, but um, he would probably win in a in a poll over uh, <laughs> over what I have to say about <laughs> literature. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Elisa Gabbert, uh, the poet I've referred to um, before, uh, is uh, let's see where she 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 was uh, she was getting exercised over it quite justifiably, of course, uh, on Twitter today, and said, um, and first she said, <laughs> why would anyone publish that? And you know, I I, I would first of all, I I'm certainly agree with that. It's a it was, was it was it a publisher's interview. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's his Ra- own publisher. Random House has yeah. did this interview and then voluntarily put it up on their own site. Um, but she said, um, she, <laughs> she quoted the Chinese or women thing, and he said, um, she said, 
I'm used to horrible misogyny everywhere, but now we're excusing blatant racism too? In other words, she says, she says open and unabated racism is still more shocking than sexism. This, I can't find the exact... Uh, oh, here she is. She says, the mental process is like white man spouting sexist dreck. Nothing to see here. Wait, he's racist too? Now he's gone too far. <laughs> and there is something kind of depressing about that. That she, Her eyes glazed over until, she, until, uh, until he brought up the, the Chinese. What is, why did he mention that? Why, where did that come from? Unfortunately, none of those happen to be Chinese or women. There's <laughs> a little, little, you know, uh, aside of a, a, a gathering of othernesses for him to dismiss. Well, I, th- I think I'm going to skip reading him. Yeah, I am too. I mean, I think I, I, I feel like, yeah, obviously people should get to say what they want, but uh, I don't have to. Uh, I don't have to read those books. What depressing man. Some so- some sentences sound like a. We can tell in their construction that there's uh, you know decades of he's been wanting to say this. Yeah, and and this is this is how the sentence comes out when he finally gets to to say the horrible thing that's been in his mind all this time. Yeah, he probably well, has he probably has like face cancer, terminal butt cancer or something. Maybe maybe he's getting he feels he's- like he can say uh, either say whatever he wants or or that he. Uh, you know, has has a has a tumor in that spot in the brain where, where his thoughts used to be. Well, here's, this this the thing that I'm really I'm really upset about is I mean obviously the racism and sexism is very vexing to me, but as someone who thinks a lot about how to be a good teacher, because actually I don't think I am a natural teacher. I feel like I am, uh, I, 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 I don't like to be the person in authority in a room. You know what I mean? I'm very uncomfortable being the person who has something to teach other people. And so I try to take the and I know I know I have certain blind spots as a teacher that some of my colleagues lack and that uh um you know, I have to compensate for them. So I think about this all the time. And hit that line about I know how to talk to a camera. Therefore, I know how to talk to a room of students. In the next paragraph he says I teach modern short fiction to third and first year students. So I teach mostly Russian and American authors. Not much on the Canadian front. But I can only teach stuff I love. I can't teach stuff that I don't. And I haven't encountered any Canadian writers yet that I love enough to teach. Doesn't now, seem like somebody who has a lot of nuanced things to say about love. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. And, I, and you know, setting aside the, the absurdity of not finding anything to love in, say, Margaret Atwood or Alice Munro, who, in addition to being Canadian, have the misfortune of being Chinese women. Uh, no. They, they, Siamese. Yeah. Uh, they they were separated. Joint, yeah. No, they have actually not been separated. Uh, I can't teach. I can only teach stuff I love. Really, really. Yeah. What I mean, what kind of teacher can't find something to say about a piece of literature, whether it's a published piece of literature or work by a student? If you're teaching creative writing, that's not very good. I, I feel like that's a kiss, big kiss part and tell of my is job. even harder. It's harder to teach stuff that you really love. I would agree. It's difficult to teach a, a, a story or a poem or a novel that you really, really love because they're not going to love it the same way. No. And you're going to sound kind of uh, daffy. Yeah, certainly. I have. Huh? Yeah. 
I have, and you did. You know, when you love something, you don't want to see the flaws in it, which is to say, you don't want to see the nuances about it, and uh, you've you've fallen for it completely. If this is, if he and I mean the same thing by loving something, and I feel this way about certain books that they're sacrosanct, um, and some that I loved when I was younger, that I may never read again because I feel that I will probably see flaws that I missed the first time around um, when I first read them. Uh, but I think most of my job as a teacher is talking about things that I don't love. I mean, talking about the ways things have not are not up to snuff is fascinating, at least to me, and it's certainly good for my students. Yeah, criticism is not love. No. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck this guy. <laughs> there's, there's so much wrong with it. I know how to talk to a camera. He's the uh, <laughs> the, the, the Canadian Man Book Love Association. Uh. <laughs> um so anyway we we don't have to talk about this guy anymore but i just i i was i was laughing laughing hysterically in my office um at how absurd it was and why would random what house put this on their site choose the publicist at random house <laughs> that they that he or she went went just went ahead with this interview they cast a spell of some kind put him in a, it's a, like not not that I mean, well, I don't know. It's football seasons. It's like you know the the occasion where a a quarterback might say something disparaging about his lineman, and so they just once in a while just let somebody go right through. You know, those are football yeah. references. Yeah. Oh no, I understand. I understand. I can. Uh, one of my favorite things I've ever tweeted, and I say no one else agrees with this, but um, that I've ever spoken to, but uh, it went unnoticed, is what I'm saying. Um, but I say it often. When everyone, anyone in my household mentions football, I say, it's pronounced football. It is. And you watch it. And then I put watch in finger quotes. Yeah. Watch it's football. pronounced football and you watch it. A T is a lot of work for the American mouth. <laughs> F-O-O-P-A-L-L. Football. Yeah. Um, so anyway, what's going I watched on? A foot, I watched a football game. All right. Last this is good. This is a new topic. Thursday or Friday when I was in Seattle. I was visiting Seattle for four days and went and, uh, went and watched uh, the Kansas City Chiefs play uh, the Philadelphia Eagles mm-hmm. at, uh, with, with, with uh, my friend Jeremy Holt. Oh, I know that Jeremy. <clears throat> and, uh, and some of his, his uh, co-workers from Children's Hospital. And uh, – Shane Farmer came, and we watched the game at the Ram Sports Bar, which is a uh, big corporate sports bar um, in the Northgate Mall of, of Seattle. Yeah. Uh, they make their own beer that is bad. and Is it run uh, by a Ram, fried da- food Ram Das? It's run by a Ram Das. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, go on. I assume it's Ram Das. Maybe it's Ram Das. <laughs> no, no. I'm, yeah, I'm, sh- I'm, oh, sure, it's, oh. I'm sure it's yeah, Ram Das. It's still a lot. <laughs> He's here now. Uh, so I was being here now at, 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 a, at a sports bar in a mall and uh, um, watching, watching the football. And, um, and I, I enjoyed the company very much. Mm-hmm. But football is so horrible. <laughs> football is the worst thing. It's so bad. It's not interesting. No. It's not an interesting sport to watch. It's very slow. Um, I mean, I... The, the, a lot of criticisms you can make. I suppose I don't mind watching a live football game. Um, I like to watch the my my college team when I'm in Kansas. Mm-hmm. But football on TV is is a 
despite its po- – I don't really understand the popularity of it. I don't either. Um, there's something about r- repetitive stage conflicts that is exciting to some people, I think. it's It lacks – I mean, I'm not – as you know, I'm not any kind of sports fan. But I understand a lot of sports fandom. I'm a sports I, household. Yeah, sure. Um, and uh, I understand why people like baseball, for instance, because uh, – in part because of the personalities of the players, um, you get a lot of you get a lot of that. You got a lot of close-ups of guys' faces as they're standing around waiting for yeah, something to happen. Thoughtful, you know? sort of looking like they're thoughtful. Yeah. So like you, if you took the, if you took the face of of a baseball player and then you know had then showed an image of them looking at a baby, <laughs> like the old cinematic test, right? Yeah, <laughs> um, it would make a lot of sense. Yeah. If you took the face of a football player and had them look at a baby, you'd be worried about the baby. That's right. They would see, you'd see a little little <laughs> hand sticking out of his mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also I also like I can watch a, a golf tournament. Can you? No. Really? No. God, no. I can do this on television. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I have to. It has to be. A, I have to be part of a group. And there has to be food. What what is there to watch? Oh, I don't know. If there's food, I'll do anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what there's food. Yeah. You know. But I I it's, I I am uh, not particularly interested in the sports themselves. But the sort of contemplative and personality aspects of them are understandable to me. But the, you know what uh, golf? You know, I, I just learned what the, the the etymology of the word golf. Do you know what it is? No. It's an acronym. <laughs> no, it's not. Totally, gentlemen only. Ladies forbidden. Wow, it's true. Is it really true? Really true. That's, <laughs> that's what the word golf is. <laughs> Gentlemen only, ladies forbidden. What was it called in uh, Scotland when it was invented? That it was called piles of haggis everywhere. <laughs> it's the only thing we understand. <laughs> so I, I, uh, so Owen uh, yesterday was uh, was just clicking around on Wikipedia and just uttering random facts he came across. And he suddenly announced to the room, uh, what is, can anyone name the national animal of Scotland? And uh, none of us got it. Eagle? White-tailed eagle? It's not. A kiwi? It's a shocker. I'm going to tell you that. It's a shocker. A lion. (laughs) Not the lion. Is it a land animal? Yeah. Well, land. Oh, it's a seal? <laughs> oh, man. No. Whale? <laughs> On land? I don't know. It animal? A, I think it's a it's, land animal, yeah. I don't know. But sometimes it rides is it on real a... real or imaginary? Sometimes it rides on a rainbow. I don't know if that counts as land. <laughs> unicorn. It's, is a, it's a unicorn. Oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, that came up for a vote in the Scottish Parliament, I suppose, at some point. And it came up uh, in the eleven-year-old girl Parliament. Yeah, that's right. It's a, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough room. I would have voted with it. It's a I, tough room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tammy, Tammy is the uh, premier of that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's it. T- Tammy L. Yeah. <laughs> From Concordia, Kansas. What's the question? Um, so we covered golf and football. Yeah, we're um, done here. So I went to Seattle. You went to New York. Oh yeah, yeah. We left our small college towns to go into uh, the, the the nearest metropoli, and mm-hmm. 
I came back unscathed. Yeah, I'm unscathed. Good, good rock show. Good rock show. It was a good rock show. Um, pretty much everyone who promised to go didn't show up, and all these people I would never have expected to go did show up, including a bunch of former undergraduates who um, are now, you know, living in New York trying to make a go of their lives. Um, and it was great to see them. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I, it was funny that I fretted. I fretted. Uh, I drove down with Lauren, our guitarist, our other guitarist, and um, and like me, she's a very anxious person. And we realized that the set, the the sets of our anxieties about the weekend did not overlap in any way. She was excited. Uh, she was uh, anxious about playing the show, like playing the right chords, playing the right chords, singing the, the right words. notes, singing the notes, remembering the words. Um, I wasn't thinking about that at all. I just figured we'd just do that. Uh, I was worried about all the logistics, like getting to the because you can't just you know we got there at we got there in the middle of the afternoon and the gig's not you know we don't have to show up for sound check till seven and there's no place to store the gear so or it turns out there was but they they tell you that there isn't so that they don't have to the guy with the key doesn't have to come and let you in early and uh, I was worried about get, getting places on time uh, we could we couldn't leave the stuff in the car all afternoon so we had to find somebody's apartment to store it in and then we had to go back to that apartment to unpack it again and put it in the car then pack it into the club and then pack it back into the car and then pack it back into the apartment and then pack it out again to go back to Ithaca and then everyone was sleeping in different places there were various guest rooms and couches around Brooklyn that uh, that was accommodating us and um but it all just went off without a hitch yeah it was it was great it was great, and uh, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to decide is, is my anxiety about logistics a, a, then a waste of energy because everyone, everything went well, or is my anxiety about logistics the thing that makes everything go well? Hard to tell. Hard to tell. Um, you don't want to monkey with that. You don't no. want to say, oh, I'm not going to worry about logistics this time, um, and then all your stuff gets stolen. Yeah. Then you know it's your fault when you have, when you haven't heard voices from the electrical outlet for a couple of years. You don't say suddenly say, "I think I'm going to change my dosages a little bit." Just adjust them a little just, bit. Just tweak them. See what happens. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. I don't need these anymore. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, that's what David Foster Wallace did. That's right. And he never uh, never got his equilibrium back. No. Not to be all grim. That's pretty grim. Pretty grim. Grim. Uh, did you take in any sights? Did you go to the Statue of Liberties? No, I'll tell you what. Um, I had had, you know, I I had had this idea that I might spend. Um, I thought we were going to go home the day after the show, but everyone wanted to stay, so I, we stayed an extra day. And um, uh, I just didn't feel like making arrangements to see people, so I just told Lauren, you know, I'll just follow you around all weekend. She was going to visit with her family. I was like, I'll just hang out with your family. So I ended up doing some stuff on my own on Saturday morning, and then I met Lauren and her eighty-one-year-old uh, uh, aunt. Nice. They were at a swap meet at a Greek Orthodox church. Excellent. Uh, between twenty-fifth and twenty-fourth, just off of Ninth Avenue, and um, we just sat around eating swap meet food and talking with old people, and uh, that was kind of when we hung out with her cousin. But it was nice because I mean these were really great people. Um, but uh, it was so unlikely 
that I would spend an entire weekend in the company of complete strangers, the you know, someone else's family, who, who I would have no other reason, you know, it was such an odd situation, right? I'm not, you know, Lauren's my friend, but we're not, we don't go on road trips together. It's like, just for the hell of it. It was this. You're not, specific- you're not Thelma and Louise. <laughs> no, no, we're not. No, we're not. And we parked the car safely at the end of the, at the end of the show. Uh, no writers, no writers. That's the rule. So it was this, you know, it was sort of just slipping into somebody else's life for a, for a day and a half. Uh, and it was great. I get, you know, I sort of emerged from it with a, Refresh sense of the possibilities of things, if that makes if that makes any sense. Um, so it ended up being a, a great show and a delightful weekend with some nice people. Very good. Yeah. Very good. How about you? How was uh, Seattle? It's nice to be in Seattle. Yeah. Nice, nice, uh, easy drive. Listening to uh, um, the Aeneid on <laughs> on really uh, book on tape. Yeah. Yeah. I bought it a few years ago when it was it was cheap, and I. I thought, oh, this will be good for a long drive, and then I always found something else to listen to. Yeah, but I've done this drive enough this year that I've sort of exhausted things, and so I listened to that and made the trip go very quickly. And uh, who's uh, who's? It's the Robert Fagel's translation. Yeah, yeah, that's one I read. Because I think great. Yeah, um, I listened to his his translation of uh, the Iliad. Mm-hmm. I was driving from New Orleans to. To Idlewild in 2005, and uh, made that trip, that long, difficult trip, very easy. So, uh, this was a follow-up, as as the Aeneid sort of is. I should probably should probably get into uh, audiobooks, but so far I haven't been able to. I listen to podcasts, as as you do, I know as well. But um, yeah, yeah, I mostly do. I mean, I drove you know, a couple long drives down to California. I probably drove 10,000 miles this summer. Yeah, and, and uh, most of it was was podcasts, which I I enjoy and are you know, like light extended conversations that I'm not part of, but uh, that's mm-hmm. sort of a relief not to be part of one. Yeah, um, but I, uh, I I forgot to I forgot to download any, so all I had was my CDs. Oh, okay. And yeah. uh, in Seattle, gave it nice reading with uh, Oliver De La Paz and Carrie Wason at a at a bar. I think I think. Uh, uh, Oliver, who's a really fine poet, lives up in Bellingham. Mm-hmm. Um, very much a university, small town university guy, and I don't think he's had the opportunity of reading in a lot of bars over the last <laughs> and since he since he moved up there. He gives a lot of readings. He's a fine poet and a, a good reader, but it's a different environment reading poems in a bar as opposed to a university lecture hall. Uh, you're are you about it, to you're about to break out a horrifying anecdote of what happened no, no, to no. him. And it, <laughs> No, no, he 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 did his his he. Uh, and if you're if you're a good poet, it kind of carries well in, in in both cases. But I could tell he was expecting different responses at different times to different things, right? Yeah. The bar is not is not going to be as receptive to nuance and, <laughs> and like the really deft uh, turn, you know. Right. They're not going to be. They're not going to marvel at syntax. Uh, they will respond maybe more to you know to to uh, a particularly particular turn of phrase, to a particular metaphor, to a particular image. I think that's that's the difference. I mean, a good bar crowd, not not a room full of drunks, but yeah, people have come to a bar and maybe had a couple of drinks, and it's a different setting. I think are more uh, that's the part of poetry that is going to engage them more is you know imagery and metaphor. So you you more extended you, things for you. You choose your you choose your poems for a bar reading. You choose different poems than you choose for a university reading. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think you can stretch out a little bit more with different kinds of poems in different settings. Uh, but so that was fun. He, he, read, he read it. was great. Kerry Wason, a uh, really fine poet. Uh, it was great. And then uh, I thought it was going to be it was my turn to read, but it turns out it was the saxophone's turn to play one note for 10 minutes. What? Yeah. Do tell. It was saxophone's turn. And there was, this, there was a saxophone, and it played. Um, you know, it was like an avant saxophonist. I was going to say, was a man or woman in control of this instrument? Yeah, there was a, a young man, uh, obviously, with some training, and it was, it was like a circular breathing thing not just not just to necrosize it was you know something to sort of show the uh sort of the radiance and, and emotional range that one note can <laughs> with, with with different sort of voicing and intensity and you know uh can can have and 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 i i appreciate that wait i, was, so- I, just, I just was not expecting it <laughs> i thought oh oh a saxophone now okay well there'll be a little saxophone playing and and then it there was just one note i think an e flat perhaps and <laughs> Uh, just uh, about ten minutes. Just kept going. The guy kicked off his shoes and started to blow. So, <laughs> so how? I don't understand how this is possible. Is he inhaling through his nose while breathing out his mouth? I don't. I don't yeah, get it. Circu- circular breathing, right? So you you fill up your lungs, and then you uh, you're you're sort of. I guess you're not recirculating it because you would die, right? right. But there's some recirculation and some new intake through the nose. I have never heard of this. You've never heard of circular breathing for no. the, the, the musician? No, I it's haven't. Real thing. I it's haven't. hard. It's a trick. Um, it's, 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 it's not necessary for a guitarist, so I escape my attention. You could try it. <laughs> Just no one would notice. <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose it, the, 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 the early masters of the... Circular breathing are probably bagpipers or something like that, right? Yeah. Well, I guess no. Then you can you can take a breath because the you're projecting your breath into the bag. Yeah. And then the, the bag. Yeah. What well, I don't, but I don't, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out. I mean, I believe you, of course, but I I'm trying to figure out believe- how how you would train yourself to do this thing. I thought the diaphragm is either is either pushing on the you know pushing on the lungs or it's pulling away from the lungs. What how how can it be doing both at once? How can you keep exhaling continuously? Practice and mastery. I don't know. How do you start? What's the first thing you do? I I can't do it, so I don't know. I've never done it. I want to learn to... um, uh, And here here, uh, Google is is proving that it's a real thing. Uh, All right, so... It uh, it does say... All right, okay, you're, you're sending me a video here. This, the, the video is not circular breathing, but it involves a bagpipe. All right, well, we'll get to, we'll get to that after I read this. This is okay. It's used extensively in playing the uh, Australian didgeridoo, says uh, says the Wikipedia, which is by definition the truth. Um, so method: the musician inhales fully and begins to exhale and blow. When the lungs are nearly empty, the last volume of air is blown into the mouth. The cheeks are inflated with this air. Then, while still blowing this last bit of air out by squeezing the cheeks, the musician must very quickly fill the lungs by inhaling through the nose prior to running out of air in the mouth. Now I get it. So the mouth becomes like the bagpipe. Right. It's like a, the mouth is like a cistern in which, the, in which the air, the last of the air is being stored as new air is being drawn in through the nose. That, that makes sense to me. So uh, you're not actually retraining your physiology. It's a, 
it's a it's a clever uh, trick that you can get skilled at. I got it. Mm-hmm. I got it. Do you have Do you have any wind or brass instruments in the house? Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's, there's a euphonium. There's a trombone. Yeah, yeah. You should give it a try right now. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to do that right now. Do you have the euphonium? Well, let's see. The room? Is it right there? The trombone's back there. Should I get the trombone? Yeah, get, get the trombone. I've never tried it before. Try the trombone. All right, all right. Hold on. The trombone's a, a wonderful instrument. Talk to the people while I'll, I do this. I will talk to them about the trombone. Actually, while John's gone, I'm going to tell you. Uh, no, I got nothing. I got nothing. I'm watching him. He's, he's moving to the back of the room. He's assembling the trombone, um, which might, might take a minute. I, uh, I was a euphonium player in... Uh, school uh, also called the baritone i guess there's a slight difference between it euphonium means pleasant sounding i believe um, but there might be some some discussion about whether that's true uh, now he has the trombone he's trying to join it and he's tightening the little bolt and he's getting his headphones and are, you nar- are you narrating my motion here i'm not i don't even know if i'm putting it together correctly oh i gotta get the mouthpiece hold on you need the mouthpiece yeah, yeah. yeah hold on hold on not much of a uh, a player. I can imagine that the that it probably has the the smell of a of a brass instrument that's been in its case for a long time, which is a certain probably kind of mold and uh, brass and old spit. Yeah. You have the mouthpiece. Yeah. Yeah. All, All right. right. So. <clears throat> Let's hear. It. Oh, you've got it. I, yeah. I kind of did it there. Yeah, you've, you've got it, yeah, in a nice tone. <laughs> nice, even tone. Yeah. You're like the yo-yo ma of the trombone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good. So uh, you can see that it probably takes, <clears throat> takes a, lot of, a lot of work and, and muscle to, to play one note for ten minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think probably. Um, I, got, I got the idea, though. Thanks for making yeah. me do that. I feel better about myself. How do you how's your embouchure? Uh, it your, feel I it's it, I've got a tingling, it out. got a tingling yeah. in the lips there. It's hard. It's difficult. Yeah. I've, ne- it's I've never attempted to play a single note into a wind instrument or into a um uh no, I've, I've tried to play yeah. a, a woodwind, but I've never tried to play a um a brass before. Till just now. Till just now. Nice. I've watched Toby do it, so I sort of figured out. Is know. it Toby's trombone? Yeah, well, it was. It belongs to my uh, the husband of my cousin, Rich uh, Rich Colleen, who's a wonderful guy. He used to play the trombone in high school. Doesn't anymore. And he knew that Toby played wind instruments, so he he gave us the trombone. And Toby played it a little bit, but he's he's mostly stuck to the baritone um, and the bass guitar. Yeah, yeah. Circular breathing. So we we had to encounter that <clears throat> ten minute note. So was this between poets? Who knew when it was going to stop? I mean, There's what's, no telling. If you think that it felt like 10 minutes, you're only <laughs> describing the first 30 seconds. <laughs> it felt like several hours at the five-minute point, and then, then by 10 minutes, you're kind of into it. It only felt like an hour. Oh, all right. That's, so, good. <laughs> that's good. So that's what so I followed. Here, I can followed I tell it. you about my excruciating hour at a literary reading? Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with the quality of the reading, which was excellent. But um, So we had... Um, our reading series uh, is endowed by a couple of alums, Cornell alums, uh, 
uh, and it's I don't I don't know if I've talked about it in the podcast before, but it's a great series. In my other podcast, I review I interview each writer who comes to give a reading, and this uh, time around it was Alison Lurie, he's the, the great uh, uh, social satirist, novelist, and uh, 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 critic of um, things like fashion and architecture, and local. And, yeah, and she lives in Ithaca and taught at Cornell. She she and I overlapped by about a year. Uh, she's retired now. She's in her eighties. So um, so we asked Allison to come and read because uh, to to honor her being named New York State author um, by the by the governor. Uh, so I knew she was going to read. And my what I have to do is I had to prepare an introduction for her. So I wrote a little essay about her work that I was going to read to introduce her, and I had to uh, prepare my interview questions and so on, and I, I somehow, it somehow escaped my attention that this was not one of our regular readings that's paid for by our main donors, but it's the Richard Cleveland Memorial Reading. Richard Cleveland was a, a Cornell grad um, who, you know, loved literature, and he died young, and his widow and a bunch of friends of his started a fund, uh, and they wanted to endow a, a a reading. So once every two years, we do a, Cle- a Richard Cleveland reading, and the the uh, you know his friends and family come, and they're terrific, hilarious people. We have a great time with them, and uh, they uh, um, we introduce you know the, the it says on the poster of the Richard Cleveland Memorial Reading, and it's on you know whoever introduces it tell you know talks a little bit about Richard Cleveland and what he you know what he did and who what he was like and why there's a reading named after him and I didn't know that it was the Richard Cleveland memorial reading it completely escaped my attention even though <laughs> the the rich the friends and family of Richard Cleveland were sitting in the front row right in front of me so I completely spaced it I didn't mention them at all I didn't mention Richard Cleveland as you were looking, you were looking into their faces <laughs> as you were reading. <laughs> yeah, and it even occurred to me a lot of the time people don't sit in the front row because it's a little awkward. You'd rather, you know, most people at an event like this don't want to be with their whole their whole family. Yeah, they're all right there, and I'm and, and it crossed my mind to think, well, I wonder why everyone the front row is filled this time around. That's odd. So the reading begins, and uh, and I had been looking forward to it because Allison is a great reader and a very charming person. And uh, she was reading a very funny story as well. And uh, so uh, Stephanie, one of my colleagues, was. <laughs> I saw this flurry of motion. And then I saw she, she got up, left the aisle. She, she left her seat. She went up the aisle, around through the back of the room, and came back down, sat behind me and tapped me on the shoulder, and then just pointed furiously at the, at the, pro, the program that said the Richard Cleveland Memorial Reading. And then she pointed furiously at the donors who were sitting 10 feet away from me and I realized that I had I had just completely snubbed them and yeah. they're the deceased man they were honoring. And so all I heard <laughs> for the hour that Allison was reading Although they was may just, not have really noticed. Well, they seemed to be having a good time and um uh I you know I they weren't scowling at me or anything and yeah. uh and I sort of know them. I mean we see them every now and then and uh and like them. But uh, and and I and I'm fixed. I I sort of I did a save at the end. I got up at the end, and I usually say thanks for coming. Go upstairs. There's a reception. This time I said I I said I think what I the specific thing I said was because I'm an idiot, I forgot the most important thing about this reading, and it, that is the Richard Cleveland Memorial reading. And my apologies for 
for uh, forgetting to say this, but he was this guy, and he did this, he graduated this, and I want to thank his family and friends for coming, and uh, et cetera, and then go on upstairs to the thing. And so I went over and apologized, and they were like, oh, don't worry about it, it's no big deal. So problem averted, but for that hour, yeah, you know, it's like you have made a mistake. And deep down I knew it wasn't going to be a disaster yeah. that I could fix it, but I couldn't fix it until the reading was over. Yeah. Or, or I, move, or move around very much. Or move to another town. <laughs> or, 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 show, or show any signs of distress on your face. Exactly, because I'm right up in front, and everyone in the room can see my bald head shining on, you know, in the front Sweating. row. Yeah, the Allison's on. sitting right there, yeah. the donors are right next to me, and I have to play it cool. When inside, yeah. I am just screaming. I'm screaming. Yeah. Horrible. It was horrible. Even though rationally I knew that it was going to be fine, I just yeah. I had to fix it and I couldn't fix it. Yeah, a comedy of manners. A comedy of manners. Yeah, I think this is well. You 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 said it in a previous podcast that my problem is impatience, and this is true. And also everyone's problem. Perhaps, perhaps yeah. so. Patience is not really doled out in any great quantities to anyone I know. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, I don't have That's it. a good point. You know, I had a I, I had an argument with Reen the other night, and all I wanted to do was make it right. And you know, the next day, of course, we, we did make up, and it was fine. It was not it was not a big deal. Um, but you you know, the last thing that a person who's mad at you wants is for you to like do some fancy footwork that will <laughs> fix it. Right, yeah. it's not fixable. The only thing yeah. that can fix something when you've hurt somebody's feelings or you've, you know, accidentally done something wrong or whatever is is time. Yeah. They they don't feel so upset about it a little bit later, and then you can talk about it and it's over. But it's like instead you're sort of right. a fight is it's an experience that you're sharing. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that unpleasant as it might be, um, uh, has to be shared until it's it's over. Yeah, yeah, I'd rather share a plate of cookies and some bourbon a plate of cookies is, is an excellent way to reduce the period of time of that fight <laughs> you know the best thing the best thing when, yeah. when things are um uh, uh are maybe not going as, as well as they could mm-hmm. at home is a, a fish dinner <laughs> really poach a fish <laughs> grill a salmon <laughs> have a nice a nice simple fish dinner um do you uh works every time does it really yeah makes you feel better makes everybody feel better all right it's kind of nurturing without being cloying because i don't want there's something very understanding about a about a poached soul (laughs) (laughs) oh oh so um oh so i'm I'm now looking at and now we've and now we've talked about food yeah speaking of domestic um (laughs) things uh, jill uh, wanted to make sure that i talked about this dessert item that she just picked up great and i actually have night. a food topic that rian just mentioned on the uh are you familiar with this product it's it family. it's a it's a the original ice cream treat san francisco tradition since 1928 whoa she remembers it from when she lived in san francisco briefly years ago and now they're carrying it at Co- maybe costco i don't know where she went it's called an it's it it's it ice cream it's there it, it is IT apostrophe S hyphen, uh, I guess N dash, I don't know, IT yeah. registered trademark. It's it. And it's amazing. 
It's really, uh, uh, really very delightful. It's a, a, a scoop of, of uh, mint uh, ice cream, mm -hmm. flavored ice cream, between two oatmeal cookies. Wow. Dipped in chocolate. Yeah, what it's now what I'm looking at, the picture I'm looking at makes it seem like a chip witch that has a leak. But Fair in fact, enough. it's a but it has a it has a distinctive flavor is what you're saying? Oatmeal cookies. It's two oatmeal cookies, scoop of ice cream, chocolate coating. They're offering to deliver it to you. Take them up on that offer. Overnight Express. Buy two cases, pay shipping on one. You buy a case of these 20 bucks, you get $67 shipping and handling to have it chilled overnighted to you. 87 bucks, you have uh, you have a case of It's It's. Is. It's It's Is. Bargain at any price. You know, the, un, um, the unconventional um, typography, the unconventional punctuation in the name, uh, until recently, it was impossible to name, say, a text file after that yeah. properly, which probably is what held it back. Here's here's the diagram on the side of the box. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, there I'm it is. Getting the mirror image, but no, no, no I'm getting the real points thing. Points out oatmeal cookie. Here's a line. It's like it's a map of Yellowstone National Park. <laughs> here's the geysers. Here's the bear. All right. Let's hike up to Cookie Point. Yeah, let's go. And they have other products too. Um, not just the It's It, uh, but the Big Daddy which is a variety of ice cream sandwich. Here's a Chips It, which is, in fact, their variation on the chip, which um, scoop of vanilla ice cream between two huge chocolate chip cookies. And shirts. Actually, um, It's probably a good-looking shirt. It's not. It's not, but that's all right. Um, it would, it would look good. It would look good if you spilled some <clears throat> chocolate on it. Then it would look like you're really wearing Most things something. look better with spilled chocolate on them. Uh, I'm, I will link to this, and uh, I will try to find a, a local dealer so they don't have to pay sixty-seven dollars to to eat them. But um, I want to I want to say something about uh, the the chip witch. The is that still exist? That don't that know what brand. it is. Okay, it's it is. it's that. It's two chocolate chip cookies with ice cream between them. And um, okay, the chip witch still seems to exist. Um, oh no, nope. Nope. Uh, okay, so the chip which was uh, ice cream between two Did chocolate it have chip cadmium cookies. in it, or <laughs> no? Uh, it <laughs> glowed got, in the dark. There is another version of this, which is the like the Nestle Toll House version yeah. of the chip which, and um, it's larger, and uh -huh. the cookie is softer and sweeter, yeah. and it's not as good as the chip which was, and. Uh, and it's it's about a th it's about half again as large as the Chipwich at the same price. I think that's why it beat the Chipwich. Oh. Um, and uh, I can't stand the, the the Nestle version of it, and I miss the Chipwich. And now it says they date back to 1981. Um, but then uh, Cool Brands, you can already see that this is not going to go well. Cool Brands, the country's second largest ice cream distributor, bought the Chipwich brand in 2002, sold it in 2007 to Dreyer's division of Nestle, who has stopped production of the original Chipwich because it competed with its own chocolate chip cookie ice cream sandwich. Nestle bought it, and they killed it. That's how they do. That's how they do. I, I, I did not realize until right now... That it's not simply that the two competed in the market and the chip which lost. That's not what happened. Mm -hmm. They they bought it and they destroyed it. Yeah. God damn it! 
I'm sorry that this this delightful little little discussion of ice cream sandwiches led you to some of the stark realities of of late capitalism. God damn it. To Frederick Jameson from the It's It. So, uh, Rian has uh, posted on our Facebook wall. Um, what is this Facebook you're talking about? I'm not on it, so I don't know what it is. <laughs> have you're you not le- on it either. Have you left uh, Facebook? I left, I left two weeks ago, and it was like having a sore tooth uh, uh, pulled yep. from my head. Yep. And I feel so much better. I've got more concentration. I don't give a fuck about what little things uh, people that I barely know are doing, and it's not in my head. Yep. Um, I, of course, I have to fight the urge of telling everybody else about the little things in my head. Yeah. Uh, but I still have Twitter and Instagram and Vine to do that. So, Good. And also uh, email and talking to people. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to forget those. <laughs> Which are the better ones? Uh, uh, went off Facebook and and uh, I I'm okay. I don't yeah. I don't feel like a social delinquent. I'll no tell one's you. Ups- no one's mad at me. You know, when I, when I went off like three years ago and people were mad at me. And now they're like, oh, another one. Yep. That's fine. I'm going to leave too soon. Yep. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, yeah. I, there was no fallout from my leaving. Well, the only fallout is the one thing that I liked f- ha- having a normal Facebook account for was following uh, reading series, uh, local rock bands, th- things like that, that. So when they had a show or an event, I knew when it was. But, you know, I'm kind of finding out. People are telling me. Some yeah. of these find, people are on you Twitter. St- you still find out, and you don't have to. Were you going to all those things anyway? I was going to some of them, yeah. yeah. Um, not all of them, but uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I uh, I'm only using it as you know, as a with a fan page, and and we have our lunchbox page, and we have my band as a page. Yeah. So, um, so last night, uh, uh, Rian and I cooked dinner together. She had made this. Uh, she bought some ingredients for um this pasta dish that featured soy based sausage crumble it's i can't remember the name of it elephant something maybe i'll 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 i'll, I'll put it in the link if i remember but uh, no piggy piggy bits piggy chunks which is the opposite of what it actually is and it it's right. a very unpromising looking bag filled with what looked like dog food like this cheese that you were talking about. Like the cheese, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, but so we made the recipe, and I gotta say this stuff was really delicious, and it tasted just like sausage. I mean, it really tasted and had the texture of sausage, very like Italian sausage. I was very surprised at this. So, um, so we're serving up the pasta, and there's also greens in there, you know, and salt and pepper and olive oil and so on. And uh, Toby said, "What's for dinner?" And I said, uh, pasta. And he said, what's the stuff in it? And I said, sausage. And uh, and they ate it. They ate it right up. Liked it. They liked it. Didn't, they know, that it was, didn't know that it was fake sausage. And at the 50-minute mark, they're not going to find out. They're not. They're not going to. They're not <laughs> going to listen this far. I actually <laughs> tweeted it in the hope that um, – I tweeted it last night in the hope that Owen would see it and uh, react with uh, violent not, anger, but not a follower. Perhaps. He didn't notice. No, <laughs> he's <laughs> he's mentioned things that he's mentioned things to me that I only mentioned on Twitter. So he, I know that he's he's looking at my Twitter, but he's not on there often. No. Yeah. So I recommend this stuff. What's I got Maybe they have it over at the good food store. Oh, right. yeah. I went for lunch to uh, Buttercup here in Missoula. 
which is the old Freddy's uh, feed and read. Yeah. Built. And uh, it was fine. I had a curried sandwich or salad. I didn't care what I had. But uh, it was my first time back in that building since coming back to Missoula. Um, yeah. The last time was when it was the thriving uh, book and food center of Freddy's Feed and Read. Yeah. Which was a nice place. Yeah, I liked that place. That was the first, uh, uh, the first business that I, besides the hotel I was in, the first business that I patronized when I visited uh, Missoula yeah. for the first time. Mm-hmm. Now it's, uh, I don't know, now it's a, a nice little place to get a sandwich. But yeah. I remember that it was bustling. There's a bustling center of, uh, there's a good bookstore, mm-hmm. and the little deli was good. Uh, uh, and I was trying not to uh, think too much about how things have changed. Because for my morning coffee, I went to Oli's Convenience Store on Russell. <laughs> Great. Um, because my routine now is I, I get up and I go to a coffee shop and write, and the writing is going really well still. I mean, Excellent. I've got... I mean, it's just, uh, just really very – couldn't be happier with how things are going. Um, but that seems to be what I need to do. I need to get out of the house, you know, get dressed, get out of the house, sit down with a notebook, have a cup of coffee and write for a couple hours, and then I'm good for, the, for a while. Um, so I thought I'd go to Oli's because Oli's has three tables at it because it's also a laundromat. Yeah. Um, and the coffee was cheap, and, and they have corn dogs. Although they don't, it turns out the corn dogs don't come out till 11, so I miss the corn dogs. Um, but you're still in good shape. That's still in good shape. So I'm sitting there writing, and I realize that there is not one fucking thing that has changed at Ollie's Convenience Store on Russell and Johnson in, uh, <laughs> in 20 years or 19 years. since here's, I went there. here's the big question. The Dig Dug machine is gone. Ah, oh, that was Replaced it. with like a driving game, kind of an acceptable driving game. Okay, okay. That's the only, the only But the, the Super Mario Brothers is still there. No There's way. There's a game console that has not moved. <laughs> wow. Nothing has changed. I mean, I'm sure the inventory has rolled over, you yeah. know, uh, every month of I know there's some different products. I think there's a shelf <laughs> Monster Energy drinks. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, nothing nothing was was different. I realized the manager is the same guy and there's like a homeless guy who who came there. Yeah. It was the same same guy who was there. Holy shit. Yeah. And he was complaining his a friend came up and asked him if he had a cigarette and he said, "Yeah, I, I don't have a dollar for for rolling papers, my kids got me some tobacco last night, but I can't smoke it because I can't afford the, the papers, which are a dollar. And I love that. Yeah. I love that his kids, plural, got him tobacco. <laughs> um, Did you buy the, the guy and, some rolling papers? I thought about it, but he was kind of an asshole. Oh. <laughs> he was really upset about it, but in kind of a, a way that I didn't want to interact with, you know. Yeah. But he was reading Watership Down. Yeah. yeah. That's 60, interesting. Five year old guy, pretty weathered, blue hoodie, earrings, white goatee, reading a very weathered copy of, of, of Watership Down. You got a poem cooking about this guy? I already wrote it. Yeah? I wrote it. It's done. Read it. It's in the bag. Come on, I, I played the trombone. Damn right you're going to read it. I remember, uh, I remember going to that place with you several times. That was a that was a meeting place I, late I in it. your your early Missoula years. We we got can we go there and uh, I'm going to see you when two weeks. Yeah, we can go to Oli's. We got to go to Oli's. Wasn't that exciting then? No, but you know, you know no, not, having a non exciting time with you is a is a is pleasurable pleasurable memory. 
for me. This is un- unedited. Oh, by the way, while you're preparing to do this, the food in question is called Wegmans Food You Feel Good About Sausage Style Crumbles. Don't be piggy. Wegmans. Don't, don't be piggy crumbles. It's like the photographer? Uh, yes. Are it's, they made by William Wegman? They are not. They're uh, the Wegman family. They're made out of, of dogs? Uh, are they Wimmeriners? The Wegman family of upstate New York. This is a, a growing, uh, growing supermarket chain that now has their own line of, of meatless crumbles. Yeah. Let's hear it. Oh, the title is something like, People are people always asking for time off, yet they still want their paycheck. <laughs> two, crows, two crows pick a spilled meal in the convenience store parking lot between the white lines along the edge of the blue square with the white wheelchair figure. The new bread delivery guy says the old guy, Howard, has esophageal cancer and has moved to the town where the VA is. The assistant manager says she was just thinking of him because she was on the other side of the bag of Cheetos and his orange fingers, always, and his orange fingers that always held the clipboard. His siblings are over in Miles City, but he's so private they probably don't know, she says to the manager at the table. He's making out the schedule with colored pencils held together by a rubber band. You know something else, too? But she whispers it. I'm glad to know, she says, but I wish it wasn't him who told me. Third day of rain on the atrium. It drips from the red awning onto the glass with the pace of a heart. And the pond forms at the bottom of the slanted glass, up to the brim, and it ripples like an emotional state. Here's a, here's a stack of checks to sign before one, he says. He has a hard time breathing. I usually drive by all this activity, Oli's convenience store, Russell and, jo- and Johnson. But here's the postal carrier with his beautiful handful of Netflix envelopes. <laughs> his face bared against the weather. And a motorcycle cop whose blue and red lights pull over a truck to the curb. Four lights by his hands, four more by the seat. The manager turns around, sees the bike propped up at the entrance to his parking lot. A regulation distance behind the truck and says, what a dumb cop. And the action is passed as cars go across the street to gas up at the competitors, rerouted. An old man in a blue hoodie drinks 44 ounces of Mountain Dew and reads a paperback watership down. The manager says the names aloud as he works the schedule puzzle. Alicia, Laurel, Darcy, Manisha, Rebecca. Twenty doors in the room open to the rows of cold drinks, slanted down so that they replace themselves. One uh, and can be stacked from the back, invisibly. Their loud hum. It's like going under gas. The dentist working on your teeth, but you can't feel it. It's unchanged from when I'd come here 20 years ago with a notebook to write descriptions and postures, not knowing where it would take me. Back here, the 20-ounce coffee with a solo lid. Notebook, you've brought me so much love. And whatever the cost, such good eyesight that I can't see what's before me anymore with also seeing what was there before and imagine what after will there settle the center of life to not the beautiful peripheries the man who can't afford his pack of papers though his kids bought him some tobacco the night before hopes for some work today but in this weather so no he can't lend his friend a cigarette 
for the even for the evolving doctrine of fumes. He's going to head up to Burger King. He can't sit here all day. Just going to take off for a while, but he'll be back. But he's not holding his breath. I don't know. There's something in there I can do. Something yeah, with. I I really like how that's moving around. That's a solid Missoula poem. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Solid Missoula poems. Yeah. It's it's uh it's it's the most Hugo esque thing I've heard from you in a long time. Yeah, this I don't know how to avoid it. No, don't. I mean, he didn't. I mean, he's he's he does he didn't know how to avoid. I don't know, Retke, Auden, Yates. Yeah. They didn't know how to avoid Swinburne, whatever poems there were before that. Yeah. You know, I, I actually am talking about this. I ha- I just opened up um, while you were reading that. I thought I'd. I thought I'd get out this talk I've been working on. It's the only thing I've been writing. Lately. Oh yeah, when, when is, what's it going to be delivered for? Sa- Saturday night. It's at the Co- the Conversations and Connections Conference in uh, Philadelphia. Sounds sexy. Uh, it does. It does. Um, it won't be, however, <laughs> but it might be fun. And uh, I'm I prepared one of these these craft talks that I give are increasingly turning into kind of rants. Sort of half memoir, a third memoir, a third rant, and a third practical advice. Um, so I'm talking about the, you know, that it's 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 came from this whole uh, does poetry matter thing that we were exercised about, right? And uh, um, that it's it sort of turned into a general discussion of the difficulty in wanting wanting love, wanting to be loved, uh, and why that's a problem. That you, of course, you want to be loved when you write something. You want it to be read. You want it to be appreciated. You want your innermost thoughts to uh, be the currency through which you, you, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. yeah. Right. And uh, you know, you, but you shouldn't. That's 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 bad. So you have to pretend that you don't really want that. I'm quote. I'm quoting uh, Dickinson in here. Ascent in your sane demur in your straightaway dangerous and handled with a chain. And it's you're supposed to. I think you should demur more than assent. You know, as a as a writer, you can't be a yes man. So anyway, I went and I read Kevin Young's Deadism, as you told me to last week. And it's a good I, little piece, isn't I, it? I really like it, and I I'm and I I realized that it's led led me to the. I summarize it in a way that's a summary to the whole talk, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read this bit, uh, this chunk of Deadism, from from uh, his book The Gray Album. Uh, book of uh, essays he says uh let it be dead uh, let us write as if we are already dead if poetry is dying then let's write a poetry pronounced doa i'm 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 skipping a bunch here i'm con- condensing for years i felt poetry was not ceremony but the daily thing the dirt it is an every day not an occasionally i still think it is but perhaps the only way to make this truly true is to write a poetry that is not like death but is death Surprising yet inevitable, every day yet far off in the future, and ever present that we still manage to forget. I'm not suggesting a poetry of suicide, don't do it, or of homicide, give that up. I'm I'm not suggesting a poetry celebrating war or ignoring war, or a poetry of a war that we celebrated too early uh, our victory in and now cannot ignore. The deadening of poetry is celebrated too early and often too. A dead poetry does not believe in sides of any kind. It believes in insides, and soul and sorrow, in silence, and also the singing that is against such. Write not like something endangered, not like a spotted owl, or reintroduced into the wild, but dead already, 
write not like a coming extinction, but like the extinction already. Maybe what we need is an undead poetry, not to take death back from poetry, but to take death back from death itself. A poetry of shambling power, devouring everything in its path. A vampire poetry that will live forever, sexy and dangerous and immortal, shape-shifting when necessary. So... That's great. It's quite a face you made. I'm glad that that you... uh, uh, you found the value in that. Business. Yeah, well, here's here's the very brief paragraph that I put after it in the talk, um, which sort of launches me into the last couple of pages of it. An efficient paraphrase of this essay might be, shake it like you just don't care. And I guess, as I try to steer this talk towards some kind of concrete practical advice, that's what I'm trying to say to you. You have to care. Indeed, you have to care a lot, but you have to shake it like you don't. <laughs> that's Not what like it's that. all about. It's It's about pretending that you're not pretending to yourself as well as to your audience, whomever that is, that those people you're not supposed to worry about, uh, that you are not doing it for love. You're doing it for itself or itself is doing it for itself. And you uh, have to care, but you have to shake it like you don't care. You know, the, the appearance of, of abandon is, is one of the things that makes great writing great, and you're ne- there's never abandoned. It's like my whole shtick about the in the unreliability of inspiration and how mm-hmm. it's a feeling. It feels good. It feels like a true thing, but it's bullshit. It has to be shaped into something. It's it is almost never. It's almost never perfect right out of the gate. The way your your heart wants it to be, or your heart believes it is. You know, um, but I but I like this. It's it's this this little essay of. Young's is really is really freeing for me. To think it seems of. like it, it's it's the healthiest response I've ever read to uh, the discussion of of uh, the death of poetry, hatred of poetry, and yeah. all that. Yeah, makes makes uh, makes fun of the the idea, acknowledges that it's true, and and pushes it all aside because creativity. Um, you know. Yeah, yeah. Did, did you read? Have you read this essay that was in Poetry Magazine by Christian Wyman? Uh, I don't read his what he has to say. All right. Well, th- he, this is actually why don't you like him? I don't know him at all, except for this. I don't. I I don't know him at all. I just yeah. I, I've I, I don't find his poetry very interesting. Eloise, he's on my press. I don't find his poetry very interesting, and I, I don't find what he has to say about it very interesting. Okay. I don't. I mean, it, it it's it's reasonable. It's heartfelt. Uh, just uh, it's there's too much. Uh, uh, feels evangelical. I feel like in the end, I'm being kind of preached at, and I don't I don't fucking like that. Well, he, um, it, you know, I don't, I've never heard of him until this, but um, when I was at uh, breakfast the other day uh, with, uh, I mentioned we were staying uh, with Lauren, our guitarist cousin, and she's a, she's a designer, uh, industrial designer in, in New York City, and really cool woman, fun to hang around with. And she asked what I was working on, and I said, I'm trying to write this talk, and I was telling her about the, you know, the subject of the talk. And she said, oh, I just read something in poetry, a letter in poetry, a response to a letter to poetry, and I took a photo of it, and I have it on my phone. <laughs> and she took it out and then emailed me this photo, which was precisely relevant to to my topic. And in, in response, uh, the, le- the, the, the letter that was a response to an essay, Wyman then responded to the letter, I am tired of being a cheerleader for poetry. So I went back and I looked at the essay, and he says here, poetry, and I was thinking about audience, 
Poetry, which is a kind of quantum entanglement in language, is not simply a way of helping us recognize the relations we have with people and places, but a means of preserving and protecting those relations. For many people, true, poetry will remain remote and accessible. But who knows by what unconscious roots poetry is reaching into lives that seem to have nothing to do with it. See, that's Jesus he's talking about. He's not talking about poetry. He's talking about Jesus. <laughs> who knows what atomic energies are unleashed or the by, shadow. by yeah. a solitary man or woman quietly encountering some arrangement of language that gives their being, shunted aside by chores and fears and who knows what, back to them. This is why I regret adding to the clamor over poetry's relevance. Relevance. The reaction is defensive and misguided, not because there's no hope for elevating poetry's importance, but because its power is already greater than any public uh, attention can confer upon it. Yeah, that's, I agree with him entirely. Yeah. I mean, but I see it as like, you know, you, Rian's, uh, Rian had a teacher at Oberlin, Diane Vrules, who's a great fiction writer, an under underappreciated fiction writer, who um, warns students not to worry about their audience because your audience is not who you think it is. It's not people like you. People who are not like you are going to pick up your work. You don't know where it will be encountered, how it will be interpreted, uh, or who is going to, you know, carry it forward if anybody is going to. And it's it's hubristic to think that you do. But probably a, a fairly smart bunch of people, right? Fairly, yeah. But the, yeah, you know, I mean, but, but, yeah, we trust them. But smart people are are scattered, you know, randomly. I think throughout all walks of life. I don't, you know, I I think the. The sort of myth that they're they're clustered in universities is is uh, I think all you know all of my personal experiences shows that that's not the case. I mean I think there are probably more smart people uh, among uh, the you know people applying the trades I do than perhaps in other walks of life. But but smart people and people who can appreciate what writers do are everywhere. Yeah, there's a broad smart public. Yeah. There aren't a whole hell of a lot of them that are going to buy our books, but who cares? No, but I tell you, be, being outside of university makes me a lot more hopeful about intelligence and creativity than being inside of one. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, outside the walls, it doesn't seem as bad. <laughs> we had a... We had a uh, so we have these meetings uh, in our department for the... They're, they're well, I for, bet those are fun. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you get there early? <laughs> <laughs> with a bottle of wine. <laughs> no, um, Where is everyone? <laughs> professors have these meetings with graduate students to talk about their job prospects. What's what are the new job listings? How to apply for jobs, and so on. and it's mostly useful to the PhDs. Short conversation. Yeah. Well, the PhDs that's their you know they want to stay in the system, uh, but the most of this isn't relevant to the MFA students, and so they wanted an MFA focused job talk, and so another professor and I got together to give it to them. And the other professor who really knows her stuff, she knows all the fellowships, all the grants, what kinds of jobs you might want to apply for, how to do it. None of which I ever, I never applied for that stuff, and I didn't apply for jobs when we were younger. And um, I, I stumbled upon my excellent job. So though I was qualified for it, I was very lucky to find it. Um, but I had to, I had to uh, hold back from just flat out saying, please don't, don't leave here and stay in academia. Please. If you like teaching and you want to go back to it later, go ahead. But go go do stuff and meet people and write a book. Just right for your own good, for the good of your writing. Yeah. Also, there are no jobs. There's this is no, true. There's nine 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 postings for for poetry faculty this year. There's a uh, opening in Oberlin. You should apply for it. Maybe ten. I think I'm. I think I'm. I'm I think I, I haven't told you my my new plan. Uh, 
and I'm, I'm not ready to talk about it on the podcast yet. <laughs> okay. But I have are, a vision of the future that doesn't involve university stuff. All right. Are you? Will you? Well, we should wrap it up. We're getting. We're running late. But will you? Are you going to tell me your plan? Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk about it. Um, but uh, so I sent you a link. Yeah. To a YouTube video. Oh yeah. yeah. Of uh, uh, I think it's in uh, Romania or Transylvania. It seems to be a, a village tradition. Okay. There's nine nine double bassoons. And a Whoa. very mysterious instrument at the center of it that they're backing up. The nine double bassoons I'm, are just backup for the real show, which I don't know the word for. <laughs> All right, this is this is amazing. Maybe I'll I'll uh, close the show with some with a with a with a, yeah. a sample from that. Yeah. <coughs> are you looking at it right now? I'm looking at it right now. Do you see the central instrument? Has it yet been revealed to you? Let me let me make the screen big. Is that? I'm looking at your face. Is I'm that looking. an animal? It seems to be the body of a goat. Oh no! <laughs> and there's the head of it. Oh, it's like a taxidermy bagpipe. Oh God! Well, Ed, that that's appalling. I want. I would try. I'd like to. If I could find the word for it, I would eBay one for you. Well, it's uh, it's got. Um... You could practice your circular breathing. <laughs> I think that's the end right there. <laughs>